Welcome to the Masterclass series. Welcome to a series of diving into the book of Ephesians. I would highly encourage. Um, we've got these for $2.99. We're selling them for $3 so we can, didn't have to pass out pennies. Um, but again, if, if you don't have the cash on you or you don't have cash period, we would gladly bless you with one of these. This is one of my favorite ways to go through any book of the Bible. Um, it's just uh, what, we, what I do as I practice my own devotional life. I encourage you to do the same. Um, they are just tremendous helps as you can read on one side and document, write, uh, reflect, um, put poems, uh, doodles when you get bored when I pray, when I, not when I pray, um, when I preach, uh, do whatever within the journal side, but develop a journal practice. I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. So if you have your scripture journals, you can go to Ephesians chapter one. That's where we're going to begin. And next week we'll get into Ephesians two, then Ephesians three, and then you see the whole flow of it all. Uh, last week, I had a massive complaint about last week's message, and I want to share it with you today. And it was by a couple kids that just simply said, we don't get your jokes. We need you to do kids jokes on Sunday morning. So they gave me three kids jokes to share. I'm going to bless you. What's the best kind of cheese? Smooth cheese. How many books can you put into an empty backpack? Only one, because then it's not empty. Taking you all a little while here. My favorite one, why don't seagulls fly over the bay? Because then they would be bagels. Y'all got that. You guys got that. I'm not good at kids, I'm great at dad jokes, People don't think I'm great at them. I think I'm great at them, but uh, I'm going to do my best to, to try to, to uh, split up the, the humor a little bit, and we'll try to get in some, some kid stuff here and there, but I am terrible at it. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of a master class. Um, the first time I had heard of a master class was um, from that great gospel website, um, YouTube. And so uh, I brought up YouTube and I pressed play on uh, probably something very holy and enlightening, probably a football clip. And uh, what came up was an advertisement for a masterclass by the great comedian Steve Martin. And he was a teaching a masterclass on comedy. And that kind of stuck in my brain for a while. I remember clicking on it, just beginning to get a glimpse of, of what he was kind of teaching. And honestly, as a preacher, it actually made an effect on how I did messages. And a master class is just simply this. It is a class given to students of a particular discipline by an expert of that discipline. Now, master classes began with uh, lessons on music. You would get master musicians and you would get students that would just want to learn from the master and they would sit in these master classes and just soak in whatever this master musician would say. And all over time, we began to see different disciplines, uh, painting, drama, really any of the arts or any time a skill is desired on behalf of somebody who has seemed to have mastered that skill. I just saw the other day that Gordon Ramsay was doing another masterclass on, on being a chef and cooking at home, high quality meals there in the confines of your average kitchen. But that's all a master class is. It is trying to glean from an expert in order to take in and to soak in what he or she has to say. That's what I called the book of Ephesians, is the master class. 
Because in the earliest manuscripts of the book of Ephesians, um, like what we read in Ephesians chapter one, verse one, it simply says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna stop right there because some of the earliest manuscripts actually does not have the words in Ephesus. They don't even have those words. And in fact, some of the earliest manuscripts have the words in Ephesus written in the margin of the letter itself, which tells us that this letter wasn't necessarily intended just for the Ephesians. In fact, it was believed that this letter was actually rotated and read in churches all around the region in multiple cities, multiple countries. It was a letter that was utilized on behalf of the expert, Paul, not Pastor Dave, Paul, to be the master class. And this is what it's like, this is what Jesus is like, and this is what you guys are supposed to act like. How simple is that? Ephesians 1 through 3, this is who Jesus is. This is what the gospel is. And then verse, uh, chapters 4 through 6, this is now how you're supposed to act in response to who Jesus is. Now, what we're talking about, I mean, look how thin this book is. This is six chapters. It's 155 verses. You can read it in about 20 minutes, give or take a minute or two. Um, so it doesn't take long for you to read this letter. And I would invite you to read it all the way through at least once. Why? Uh, because it's a letter which means that you know, the chapters and the verses were added later, so the, really the way to understand it is to read it through in its entirety, take you about 20 minutes or so. But in terms of applying it, it will take you 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years. This is not one of those things where you spend 20 minutes in it and you're like, I got it, I know how to live it now. It takes a lifetime to learn how to follow Jesus because I don't know about you, uh, I'm not perfect um, and there are things that I follow up, there's things about Jesus that I thought I understood but the more I begin to follow Jesus, the more I begin to understand who he is. And so that's why Paul, the expert in his master classes, calls this church, calls Ephesus, calls the surrounding churches. In fact, in Colossians chapter, I think it's Colossians 3, they're, they're talking about this letter to the church in Laodicea, and experts believe that this is actually the letter that was supposed to be sent or to, that was sent to Laodicea. There's so much depth here, but Paul wants us to dive in and to learn from him. He is our expert today. And what I love about chapters 1 through 3, the first half of the book is what it's trying to do is get you to understand the gospel. Specifically, it wants you to understand who God is and who you are in light of who God is. It wants you immediately, chapter one, to dig deep in who God declares you to be. I mean, look at here, verses one through three. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, and peace from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. From the get-go, he is establishing who we are in Christ. He establishes who he is in Christ. He's establishing, this is who God has declared me to be and who God is declaring you to be. I want you to write something down. Who God declares you to be is more powerful than how you feel you are. Who God declares you to be is more powerful than how you feel you are. So many of us that we feel, maybe we feel hurt. 
We feel angry. We feel upset. We feel scared. Um, I used to have a coach that talked about um, our emotions are the same thing as feeling cold because we would complain about how cold we are at football. He's like, fear and cold, they're just feelings. You got to tell yourself you're not cold. And he was all bundled up in all of his hunting gear. And we're like, oh, look at you. You strip down and wear what we're wearing. is like, oh, no, I'm a coach. I don't have to do that. We have to understand that God's declaration over you is always primary and it's always paramount and it is more powerful than how you feel you are. Because I don't know about you, I have those mornings where I wake up and I know, I know what God has spoken about me, but I tend to follow how I feel about me. Or many times, how about this, we tend to follow what other people feel about us and what other people have said about us, what other people have spoken over us. But that's why from the very beginning, Paul wants us in chapter one to get into a fresh mindset that says, I am going to help you understand who you are. And so on our first message, we're going to focus on two primary words. If you're taking notes, there's two primary words I want you to recognize, and it's found in verse 1. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and to the faithful who are what? In Christ. Highlight that. Circle that. That is two of the most important words that you're gonna find in all of scripture. And in fact, if you look through, and I've actually highlighted it in chapter one, highlight how many times you see the words in him, which is talking about Jesus, or in Christ. You're gonna find 11 times in chapter one in, in, in the ESV, or the, even the New Living Translation, you're gonna find out 11 times Paul uses the words in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It is the identity of those who place their faith in Jesus as their Savior. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you've now taken on a new identity, and the identity that Paul gives is in Christ. In fact, Paul uses it again 11 times here in Ephesians 1. But if you're a student of Scripture, you know that Paul has written 13 letters. The fancy word we use in church is epistles. He, in 13 of his, uh, his 13 epistles, his 13 letters, Paul uses the words in Christ 164 times. Paul doesn't call people Christians. He says, you're in Christ. This is Paul's chosen term. This is Paul's chosen focus. And when he talks about labels, listen, it was the world that called Christians Christians. It wasn't Christians. We didn't call ourselves Christians back when the church first birthed. This is the chosen term because Paul wanted it to be more than just a label that we wear, that we wore over our life. He wanted something, a mindset, something placed within our spirit that got a hold of our hearts, that did more than give us a label to live by. It gave us an idea identity to live in. And often we talk about what does it mean to live in Christ? Like there's terminology we use in the church that we talk about giving our lives to Christ or inviting Christ in our lives. And I was thinking a lot about that this past week. I invite Christ into my life. And I wonder if we maybe are being misled into wrong interpretations of what that truly means. Because sometimes when we think about inviting Christ, sometimes we're inviting Christ in and we want Jesus to step into our lives and then we want Jesus then to adapt to us. See, when we invite Christ into our life, it's not about inviting Christ in so he can adapt to our lives. It's about it's jumping into his life so that our lives adapt to who he is. 
We've got to stop chasing a Jesus that adapts to how we feel and adapts to our policies and adapts to our preferences. Man, Jesus didn't come just to be an accoutrement or to become a, an accessory, accoutrement, that's a fun word, an accessory into our life. Jesus was meant to be the main person, the main stage, the main actor, the main player. He was never here to be a sidekick or a co-pilot. Jesus, I love what Tony Evans said, Jesus didn't come to take sides, Jesus came to take over. And he has come into our life to help be a pure identification. He didn't, he, we don't want to be a people that just associate with Jesus. We want to be a people that are identified by Christ. So that when people look at us, they don't see what we are in in terms of our chosen preferences. We want people to see that we are in Christ. So the question is, is, is are we around Christ or are we in Christ? Because there's a big difference. Are we around Christ or are we in Christ? Maybe the better way to say it. Are we fans of Jesus or are we followers of Jesus? There is a big difference. Because for some of us, we're big fans of Jesus. But to actually follow after Jesus is a whole different thing because there are a lot of people who are fans of teams or fans of celebrities or fans of just somebody in this world, fans of fads, and, and you will, they will follow that person up until maybe that person doesn't meet their expectation or do what they want to do or until something happens. But when we're followers of Jesus, it's like that old song says that though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back. It's about following who Jesus is. And that's what Paul is diving into in this masterclass. Look at those words over and over and over. In Christ, verse three, in Christ. Verse four, in him. Verse seven, in him. Verse nine, in Christ. Verse 10, in him. Verse 11, in him. Uh, verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. Verse uh, 13, again, in him. Verse 20, in Christ. Over and over and over. It's as if Paul is trying to get us to, get, to come to grips with something. You see, in, as believers, we actually live in two places. Me, I live in Texas Township, but I also live in Jesus. Paul is writing to a church saying, listen, I know you live in Ephesus, but you also live in Christ. Your feet are on the ground in one spot, but your life and your identity is lived in Jesus. There's something so deep in that statement right there that your feet are on the ground right now here in 5550 Oakland Drive, Portage, Michigan. Your feet are on the ground in Portage, Michigan, but your identity is not found in where your feet are at. Your identity is found in who you serve. And it's Christ Jesus. And it's time that we learn that our lives, we may be lived in a context, but the reality is our lives are all about who we serve and who our lives are pointed toward. Are we in Christ or are we out of Christ? There is no other opportunity and there's no other distinction. What are we choosing to live in? It was, let's see, I've been in ministry 23, 23 and a half years. So it was about uh, 22 years ago uh, when I started ministry, um, I started ministry without a computer. I had this thing called a tablet of paper and a thing called a pencil. And that's all I had. Uh, because in Bible college, I didn't have a computer in Bible college. I had a word processor. Anybody have a word processor in college? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, I got a few people whose parents punished them. Okay. Um, my pr word processor was seriously, it was like 50 pounds beast thing, 
And so I had this keyboard sitting in front of it, ginormous thing, but the screen was about this big. And so I remember just sitting up late at night and I'm typing like this and I had to feed it one piece of paper at a time and it was so loud that I had to go to our TV room because I would have woken up um, my roommate and probably my sweet mates with the, with the noise of my 15 pages being printed out. And, and, and I ended up breaking an accident, which I think, you know, saved my soul if I get rid of that thing. Got rid of that, went to, got my first ministry position and we didn't have computers. And so um, just used a tablet and paper and used books to look up Greek words and Hebrew words for sermons, things like that. And then about a year into ministry, our pastor and the board, they sprung for computers, desktop computers for the entire staff. And I had been looking so forward to this because in youth ministry, I mean, to me, Creativity is, is paramount. And, and you know, like with slides, we didn't have projectors. We had something called, some of you know what these are, slide projectors. You know those things that grandma pulls out and just shows embarrassing slides of your parents? Okay, this is what I had. And so I used WordPerfect on somebody else's computer somebody else in the office, one of the secretaries had a computer. I used WordPerfect and basically made these tiny little slides that looked like they're black slides, but they were actually sermon slides. And so every Wednesday I was fitting those pieces of plastic in tiny little slides and then putting them in and I was clicking through so they would be up on the screens and every once in a while one would be backwards and oh, it's embarrassing. It was terrible, but I was getting a computer now. And so I went to a store, I think it was like Office Depot, and bought a bunch of CD-ROMs to install onto the computer so I can get more creative in youth ministry. And so the flatbed cart comes in and I ran out, literally ran out, grabbed a tower, grabbed the monitor, went in, and I plugged it all in, turned it on, and I am like so excited because now I was gonna have Microsoft Word. Oh my word. And then I had all these other like different like newsletter creators. I didn't have to do clip art and like tape it and then copy it off, make it look like I was really creative. Oh man, I was so excited. And so I hit the CD-ROM drawer. That's how old I am right here. The CD-ROM drawer comes out. And so I turn on my office chair to go grab the CD-ROM. And as I turned the back of my office chair, hit the little CD-ROM drawer that popped out and broke it. And so I did what any godly man would do. I pushed it back in, unplugged it, set it on the cart and grabbed a different one and went right back to my office. No joke. I was doing it for Jesus. It's okay, stop judging me. And so I'm installing everything. And then after a while, I got all convicted and went and talked to the guy's name was Steve Addy, helping us with all the computers. I'm like, Steve, don't use that one right there. And he's like, what happened? Is it, is it faulty? I'm like, it is now. And so that all got, got straightened up. I think we gave that to one of the other pastors, which was pretty funny. Um, I remember then getting and installing my CD-ROMs and then I began to realize something that our pastor bought the bare minimum on a computer. Because inside the computer, you've got something called RAM and you have an operating system and you have speed, all of that. And all of these disks, including the major one, which is Microsoft Word, for it to actually run properly, you have to do more than have a place to put it into the computer and to load it. You had to have an operating system that was compatible that was gonna actually run the programs. And everything that I had was too high a quality for the computer that the church bought me. It was all useless. 
absolutely useless. And so after like a month or so, like everybody's complaining. Microsoft Word crashes. In the middle of typing a message, it crashes. Lost my whole sermon. Blah, 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 blah. It's just something that we kind of dealt with for a while. But I remember having for the longest time a stack of CDs sitting next to my computer. And now... What I could have done, I guess smarts would have been, was to take all of those CDs, go back to Office Depot, and exchange them for something lesser than what I really wanted. I could have continued trying to use them, but I honestly doubted that it would ever work. Or you can do what I did with most of those CDs. I had them there, but I forgot that they were even there. And I remember when I resigned five years later, finding a bunch of those CDs that I had never used, wasted money, things that I bought that I could have exchanged for something lesser. I couldn't, well, I really doubted that they could ever work or I just simply forgot about them being on the shelf. I wonder if that's how we treat our identities in Christ. Is we, we take that identity, we put our faith in Jesus, but it seems like day in and day out, I wonder if, I wonder if we actually exchange that identity for something lesser. Or I wonder if we put our trust in Jesus, but when it comes to the rubber meeting the road and we're facing tough situations, I wonder if some of us, and I've been there before, where I'm in, I know I'm in Christ, but I doubt it's going to work in this situation. I doubt it's going to apply. I wonder if God's gonna show up or some of us put our faith in Christ and we just forget about that identity and we continue to go back to living the way that we live. And so what I wanna show you today is I wanna help introduce you to what it looks like to live in Christ. What is the ramifications? What are the realities? Which leads me to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Ephesians one, verse three, for all of you grammar people in the house, everybody that's watching online, including Emma, who's doing her homework, get your homework done, Emma. Your mom told, you, told me you're doing homework today. When it comes to the grammar, this would probably annoy you in the Greek language. Because from verse three, all the way through verse 14 is one sentence. No punctuation, no breath. Ever seen people that actually do social media like that? No punctuation and you get this massively long paragraph where you're thinking to yourself, please tell me there's a period or a comma somewhere in this thing, a semicolon, a colon, is there anything, brackets, parentheses. Paul has none of that. But in fact, so he lays out this one long sentence. Let me read you this long sentence, but in the English language, we try to help out our expert here by giving some punctuation. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons of, uh, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, for which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. For in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, or you can take that word, you can write the word intended, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are, 
who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One long sentence. Paul, take a breath. One long sentence, but even in this long sentence, he is trying to get us to understand that, listen, as he's like, church in Ephesus, church in Laodicea, church in whatever, is re- whatever church is reading this, he's trying to say to them, and he's speaking to us, is when it comes to your, your identity, I want you to see that that which you have can never be exchanged for something that is lesser. Don't give up who you are. And he spells it out, this is why you don't give it up. Look at these ramifications. Live according to that identity. Because for those living in Ephesus, they were challenged in this because the city was known to have many pagan religions, including emperor worship. And it was known for being the center of magic and the occult. In fact, you could read about that in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. And so what was happening is the people were tuned into other realities. They were tuned into occultic realities and they were living their identity. Well, we're Christians, but we need to live these realities. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Even though you see a context, your feet are in Ephesus. Your heart, who you are is in Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I want you to lean into that because whatever you identify identify yourself with, that's what you lean into. And whatever you lean lean into is that which you live out. Because identity is something that I think I could preach on every day of the year. Identity is such a huge thing in terms of our beginning our, 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 and our journey of following after Jesus. And so the question I wrote down in my notes is this, is how do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself by your family background, by, by your race, by your associations, your school, your skill set? Um, wow, how many of us identify ourselves by a painful experience that, we, that we've gone through in our past? How do we identify ourselves. And so we all associate with something and we live in that association. And so I ask myself the question, how do I identify myself? And so I pulled out my journal and I just started writing how I identify myself. I'm a husband and I'm a father. I'm a far better athlete in my head than in reality. Um, I'm a sports junkie and aspiring rock climber and a family man. I'm a hard worker, a God-fearer, one who tries to be compassionate to all. I try to roll with the punches in life. I think with my emotions, which means I'm both an optimist and I'm a pessimist. I'm a Behringer. I'm a Michigander by way of Detroit. My roots come through, uh, my roots come through exotic places like Scotland, Montreal, Canada, Canada, I just said Canada. My grandfather would be so upset with me right there. My roots come through exotic places like Scotland, Montreal, um, Canada, and Arkansas. I'm a food junkie. I'm a left lane driver with a right lane car. I'm extremely competitive in almost every aspect of life. I strive for empathy with everyone. I am grateful. I'm a life who has tasted the dark night of the soul. I am 44 years sober in light of my family history and addicts. I am a sinner. I'm a life redeemed, I'm a new creation, I am in Christ. And because I'm in Christ's image, I have found that I'm most like myself when I'm most like 
Christ. Some of us have never simply asked ourselves who we are. And it's such a simple exercise, but I would challenge you to do that this week. Ask yourself, who are you and what are you truly all about? But something that I really wanted you to see was that last specific line that I have found that, I am all, that I'm most like myself when I'm most like Christ. The enemy has tried to fool us into thinking that you are most like yourself if you are most like your, your parent or most like what people have said you are or what your history says you are. But understand that you are not made in somebody else's image. You are made in God's image. You're not made in what a government or what a nation has said you are or what a news... Uh, real has said you are. You are made in God's image. You are the imago Dei in the image of God. So you are not most like yourself when you are according to what you feel you are. You are most like yourself when you step into the, the fact that you are made in Christ. You're made in him. You are placed in a mindset or you are, you are placed in a place where you need to understand you're made in his image. Now live in that place. And so Paul wants the people to grasp this that you're in Christ. You may live in Ephesus, but you live in Christ. You may live in Kalamazoo, but you're in Christ. You may be living in Portage or Pawpaw or pick your city, pick your home. That's where you're living at, but live in Jesus. And so Paul gives them these great realities. And I wanna just run through them real quick because to every single believer that is listening, whether you're here or watching online, I want you to lean into these realities. You wanna know what it's like to live in Christ? Here's what it's like. Look here, verse number four, you are chosen. What it's like to live in Christ, it's knowing that you are chosen. I'm not talking about schoolyard cho chosen. You know what schoolyard chosen is? It's Dave Berenger, shortest kid in the school and all of a sudden everyone's standing up against the fence and they're going back and forth, back and forth. Guess who is picked last? Dave's picked, Dave, get on our team. I'm like, of course I'm on your team. You got stuck with me. Can I tell you this? God never once thought that he was stuck with you. You may feel like you were picked last, but you are never ever in that mindset. God is not stuck with you. He chose you. Secondly, verse number five, look at that word, adopted. You are worth being chosen, but you're not just being chosen, you're being brought into a family. I wanna show you this beautiful family in our church. I love this family so much. They gave me permission to share this. No, I don't take people's Facebook pictures and just bring them into sermons, don't worry. This is the Erickson family. And they shared their testimony a couple years ago. In fact, November is Foster Care Adoption Awareness Month and this church champions the orphan. We champion the widow. We champion, why? Because that's basic a religion according to the book of James. This is the heart of Jesus. And what I love about this couple is this to me was, when I thought about Ephesians chapter one, this is the family I thought of. Why? Because they exemplify exactly what it says in verse five. We've got Travis and Beth, and we've got Isaac, Ella, and Leo. Now what you've got here is you've got three children. One of their children is biological, two are not biological. But if you talk to those two amazing people right there, is, is they would say they have three children. They'll have one biological and two adopted. They don't place a label, why? They look at their kids and they say, say, this is my son, this is my son, this is my daughter. They are our children and, they, and we are their parents. 
They don't use any other terminology. And when I read about that word adopted, man, that kind of crushes my soul in such a good sense because there are times that I was living as a son of the darkness, as a son, a slave of my own lust. But God did not just choose me. He adopted me into his family, said, you are my son now. You belong to me. And so this family here to me speaks Ephesians 1, that you're not just chosen, you're in the family, you're in Christ. You're not just in a family, but an outsider. You're not just in the family, but you're just that family member. No, you are coming in as a son and daughter of the Most High God. Number three, you're redeemed. You're redeemed. Verse seven, Paul says you're chosen, you're adopted, and he uses the word Redeemed. Oh, that, you know, I kept thinking of was that great gospel movie, the movie Taken with, with uh, Liam Nielsen. Oh man, what a great evangelist, amazing. And if you ever watch that movie, it is a very, very, as a parent, it's a terrifying movie to watch. The movie's about human trafficking. And yeah, we get, we get the great line from, from Liam that says, you're gonna t- if you're gonna take my daughter, you just gotta understand I have a particular set of skills such a great line, but yet the whole movie is this man will go to any length at any cost to win his daughter back. And that's what I thought of when I thought about redemption. You don't know what in Christ means? You have been redeemed because Jesus went to every cost to win you back and to rescue you back. Look at uh, verse seven, you're forgiven. You're not just redeemed, but you're forgiven. You're not just redeemed. And then all of a sudden there's this dark cloud that hangs over you because you had sin in your life, or you had maybe a disturbed past, or you've got a broken past. Jesus doesn't just bring you in and redeems you, but he completely forgives you head to toe, inside and out, that whatever your past looked like, the slate has been wiped clean. Because when I allow my past identity to become my sole present reality, I forfeit the future that God has planned. And we have to remember that when I am in Christ, that I am in this place where he has not just bought me back, but he has forgiven me 110% over and over and over. And I'm so glad that he hasn't just forgiven me once, he continues to forgive me over and over and over again. And I'm glad that he's the God of second chances. He's the God of third chances. He's the God of seven chances. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Number five, he enlightens us, verses eight through nine. What does that mean? He makes the mysteries of things known. Man, I'm so thankful for a God that doesn't leave us in the dark. There are t- sometimes that God, if God leaves us in the dark on something, it's because he's trying to lead us forward and allowing him to take those next steps. But I've learned this, that the longer I follow Jesus and the more that I trust in Jesus, the more he can enlighten me, the more he can give me wisdom in situations I, I shouldn't have had wisdom. He can give me insight in ways that I never thought I can have. I remember it was like two weeks ago or a week and a half ago going through a struggle and all of a sudden I'm in prayer. Lord, I need to hear from you. I came and sat on these steps right here in the dark. Lord, I need to hear from you, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think about the situation. And I just kept trusting in the Lord. And when the world or the heavens seem silent, 24 hours later, there's a lady in our church that wrote me the most simple, humble little message that says, Pastor, I just felt like I need to speak something to you. And everything that she spoke was spot on, the literal answer that I needed for solving the situation that I found. He is the God who enlightens us. Number six, we're heirs. We are heirs. That means we have an inheritance with Jesus. That we have, a, we have an, we have something waiting for us, a heaven and a hope. But yet we get to taste of that and experience it here. And number seven, we're sealed. 
we're sealed. What does that mean? Out of verse 13, this is what's cool. Because this word sealed in Ephesians 1 is an important word for Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, including Corinth, were centers of the lumber industry of Paul's day. Wood logs were brought in on the Black Sea and held on rafts in the harbor. Lumber firms would send to representatives and choose and mark and seal different logs as their own when they purchased them. So as part of the sealing process, the owner would pay earnest money that guaranteed that he would come for the logs at the right time. And all the logs would sit in the harbor, sometimes for long periods of time, but nobody would touch them because everybody knew for whom they belonged and for whom they have been separated. Understand this, the Spirit of God has been sent into your life as a seal. You're God's, you belong to Him. And sometimes there's some waiting when you're being in Christ, you're waiting for answers, you're waiting for healing, you're waiting for strength, you're waiting for the peace. But understand this, that the enemy wants to whisper to you that God has forgotten about you. I wanna tell, I want you to know, I want you to get this. God has not forgotten, you have been sealed. You've been marked with him. You're not forgotten. You're not cast aside. You may feel alone. It doesn't mean you're alone. You've got the seal of the Spirit of God. And what Paul is trying to tell the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches in the region, these are the spiritual realities. And so you can do one of three things. You can take these seven spiritual realities and you can exchange it for a lesser identity. But don't exchange anything less for anything lesser for being in Christ. You can doubt what God is doing Or you can just forget and just set it all to a side. But Paul says, lean into this. Just lean into it. Lean into being in Jesus. Lean into this. I want you to write that seven down. You can go on version. You can, you can get the notes, you can screenshot it, but I want you to lean into that. I want you to look at those things because for some of you this morning, God has brought you here to remind you of something. God has brought you here to remind you of your identity. God has brought you here today to help enlighten something into your soul today. Because for some of you here, maybe you have just forgotten that God has redeemed you. Maybe others of you, you've forgotten that God has sealed you because you've been so under attack and you've asked, God, where are you at? Maybe some of you here that you have been like breaking underneath the weight of a mistake that you made decades ago and you've been feel like that. You're gonna be damned to an eternity of guilt and shame. And today, maybe you came just to be reminded that God forgave you. And now it's time to stop dancing with being in Jesus. And it's now it's time to start living in this identity. Stop wearing the moniker of a Christian and start living it. Stop being a fan of Jesus. It's time to be a follower of Jesus and begin to live into these beautiful realities as sons and daughters of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, you're so welcome in this place to do your will and to do your work. And heads bowed, eyes closed, with nobody looking around. I'm gonna ask that just if you are in Christ today, would you just would you just begin just intercede and pray? 
And the first thing that I just wanna pray for is for those of you that maybe you're not living in Christ, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not here to sign you up to a church. I'm not here to sign you up to a membership. I'm not here to twist your arm to give into an offering or anything of that sort. Toss all of that aside. My primary reason for being here is to give you the good news, the good hope of Jesus Christ, that in Him, you could be made brand new. And if you're here today and you need a fresh start in life, today you need to put your faith in Jesus. Today, maybe you feel like you've struggled straight away from Jesus, but today you wanna to make a fresh start. If you're here today and you need to be in Christ, if that's you and you need to make a brand new decision to follow Jesus, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand saying, Pastor Dave, if that's me, would you pray for me? I don't ever wanna assume that everybody in the house is serving the Lord. I just wanna look around. You need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Just a few seconds, three, two, Hallelujah. For those that lifted hands and maybe for those watching today, that if you're watching and you're needing to step into a relationship, would you do me a favor? Would you just simply pray this? Jesus, come into my life. Today, I put the trust of my life in your hands. I put the control of my life in your hands. Today, my feet are in porridge, but Lord, right now, my life is in you. So Lord, I give you everything that I am and I wanna step into your life that my life would become more like you. So Jesus, forgive me, wash my life, help me to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray over every individual in the house today. Lord, in this list, these seven attributes that Paul gives us, through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray today that, Lord, one would just jump off the page, that perhaps that we need to focus on and lean into. And Lord, for some of us, it's because of where we find ourselves at right now. Lord, for others of us, maybe it's because you're gonna be leading us towards somebody this week that maybe needs to know they've been chosen to. They felt like an outsider child instead of a family member. Lord, maybe somebody this week needs to know that they're redeemed and Lord, you wanna kind of bed, get that into the bedrock of our souls today. Lord, maybe it's putting in our hearts, God, that we have an inheritance, God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We're not outsiders, we're insiders in your presence and your mercy. Lord, I just speak your presence over us, helping, asking you to help us to dive into who we are in you and to follow you with our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.